This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. And it is a pleasure to welcome back to our microphones, uh, Jamie Dynan, who is the founder, chairman, and co-CEO of Your Capital Management. He's also a part owner in the Milwaukee Bucks basketball team in the NBA. Good seeing you again. It's always great to be here, Dan. Th- thank you very much for coming back and joining us. Um, I want to start, we'll talk about the Bucks in a little bit, but I want to start with the economy in the U.S. right now. And how do you view it, specifically just the growth that we have seemingly seen over the last couple of years? But obviously there are so many different factors now with the potential of more trade tariffs, you know, a lot of factors playing in. So where do you see the, the potential strength of the U.S. economy at this point? So the big strengths right now in the economy are both business confidence and consumer confidence are almost at record highs. Um, consumer, you see in retail sales, you know, virtually no, you know, unemployment, and just say, I call it just a confidence that tomorrow is going to be pretty good. Business has never been better. Part of it's tax cuts. Part of it is just where we are in the cycle. When we had this really slow, almost like tepid recovery after financial crisis, but it's finally all caught up together, and the the rest of the world looks really good. Mm-hmm. Japan is, you know, hard to believe after 20 years has some growth. Europe seems to really move beyond what I would call the, almost their existential crisis. You know, back in the, around 2011, 2012, when Greece looked like it might yeah. blow the whole thing up. In fact, this morning, the ECB, um, you know, Draghi came out and he said at the end of the year, we are done buying bonds. Yeah. You know, QE is over. Monetary easing is done. Okay. Yes, we won't raise rates until 2019, but... We like the way the European economy really looks, and it does look good. So most of our big companies are global companies, and the global investment landscape is really being enhanced by the fact that the global economic you know, landscape just looks really good. It's really hard to find where there's real problems. But with, with Europe, though, specifically with Brexit, and we just saw you know, what happened in Italy recently, is there worry that you know, we still have a lot of dynamics that are still in play here that may be impacting Europe negatively in the next couple of years? So I think there's a big difference between what investors do and what businesses slash consumers do. So investors' jobs is really to look out the windshield. Where are we going? Yeah. Okay. Good managers tend to look at the dashboard. Okay, where are we right now? I'm okay. talking business people. Um, the most individual in, individuals, just as normal, average human beings, as well as what I would call not great businesses, they tend to look through the rearview mirror. Right. What happened yesterday is indicative of today and tomorrow. And so I think for the consumer, he's not worried about Brexit. He's not worried about the Italian elections. Remember, most of them have no clue yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So all they know is their paychecks are going up, their companies are reinvesting, business is good, and, um, you know, and their home values have stabilized, increased. They're, they're feeling good about themselves. They're spending money. And you see that through almost all sectors of the economy. Good businesses are, I think, a little nervous. A lot of other businesses, particularly I would call local domestic businesses, that really don't think that they're affected by global affairs. They are, yeah. but they don't think so. Think of the corner hardware store. Yeah. Doesn't think he's affected. Okay. He's never been to Italy. Doesn't sell anything to Italy. You know, in fact, he doesn't even know anything about Italy. <laughs> yeah. Of course, he didn't know anything about Lehman Brothers. <laughs> and then 60 too, days yeah. after Lehman Brothers blew, he was completely blindsided. Yeah. Demand just fell and collapsed across the board. Yeah. That's where. 
you got to look through the windshield. Where are we going? And look, I'm more nervous today about these big issues than I was six months ago. Yeah. You asked me today what I worry about. I worry about trade rhetoric. I, I, that you have to be worried about. Yeah. I mean, we're, this is, you know, well, this is Thursday, you know, but, um, you know, tomorrow, I think on, I think it's the 15th, I think we're going to get a potential trade tariff announcements, yeah. you know, probably know this when yeah. this is aired. Um, I'm not sure. No one really knows what the administration is going to come up with, but it can backfire. Gary Cohn came out today or yesterday, I think, I think this morning, and he said, you know, that these tariffs are going to undo all the benefits, all the benefits of the Trump tax cuts. Yeah. He could be right. And that would be really bad because we're seeing this huge resurgence in growth that's giving all this confidence. Right. And, and obviously people, the, the average consumer feels better when they see an extra 250 300 whatever that amount is in their paycheck. They've been seeing it now for the last few months. They feel better about that. So playing off of that then, the question has been, where does that potentially take GDP in this country? Because obviously the president would like to see it three, three and a half, four percent. I don't know if we can get there. What do you think? I think it's hard to get there. I, I, and, and believe it or not, I think the main reason it's hard to get there comes down to two, two big picture things. One, to me, is the investor class is looking through the windshield. Yeah. Some of the smart big corp- corporates are not spending the kind of money you would normally expect on capital expenditures. Right. They're not building for tomorrow's demand. Right. Okay. Investors, okay, are they have a healthy risk appetite, but they're also still cautious. Right. Why is this? I, I, I really believe it comes down to the, the concept of income inequality yeah. that we talk about. Yeah. What's happening is the economy is doing great. Lots of wealth is being created. We have this huge economy. It's, you know... Uh, the GDP year, you know, it was $20 trillion. Wealth is being created every day. Problem is the majority of that, in fact, the vast majority of that wealth is going to the money class. Yeah. They don't spend it. That's why interest rates are so low. They just put it away. Yeah, I think of someone like self who's obviously been fortunate. How many washing machines do I need? Right, right. I just need one. <laughs> right. Okay? But there's lots of people who don't have a washing you machine. Mean, you mean you don't have a washing machine on every floor of your house? I don't have washing machines <laughs> on every floor of my house. And, and that is, is the big challenge is you need consumption. Right. Okay? And with so much of the growth going to the money class yeah. versus the, the consuming class, that's why we're not, we're not seeing that 3 4% growth. That's why we haven't seen that 3 4% growth, and that's why I think we're not going to see that 3 4% growth. Jamie Dynan is the founder, chairman, and co-CEO of Your Capital Management. You mentioned Japan a, a little bit ago. What is it that you see with Japan right now? Okay, so we're uh, heavily investing in Japan. We have a big Asian presence. We've been there probably now about four, 13, 14 years. Uh, Japan is, in my opinion, one of the best equity markets to invest in today. And the reason is the following. There's more embedded trap value inside these Japanese corporates than any other, you know, big liquid markets in the world. U.S. is very efficient. Europe is becoming incredibly efficient. Japan for years just hoarded cash and hid under the authorities, passive shareholders, and basically, you know, did not invest in anything. As a result, the country never grew. And you got this almost like downward death spiral 
of uh, decreasing demand, decreasing basically growth and everything else. It's changed now. In fact, this morning, I think, uh, late last night, our time, Toshiba announced they returned almost $7 billion of cash to their shareholders. They sold wow. the business to Bain & Company, a chip business. You never see Japanese companies return cash yeah. to their shareholders. There is a sea change taking place. Corporate governance is now becoming pro-shareholder-oriented. Management's becoming much more accountable. And you might say, like, why? Why now? What's happened? Well, what happened was about a couple years ago, under the uh, Abe administration, Japan started to buy equities for the people. Okay. In other words, the pension. Think of our Social Security fund. Their pension fund started to buy like five percent of every Japanese company. Right. Their big Japan Post Bank, which is almost like a sovereign fund, is being a massive investor in Japanese equities. They are long Japan now, and what they want to do, and they realize the only way this economy is going to grow is our corporates have to start spending, investing, or giving the money back. And so they're now a huge shareholder advocate yeah. for wealth creation. That's what we love about Japan. Coming back to the United States, what was your reaction to AT&T Time Warner? I think it was a brilliant decision by the judge. I think it was the right decision. We followed the trial really closely because we had vested interest in it. Uh, the opinion is excellent. I do not expect it to uh, be stayed by uh, the Court of Appeals. And what it did is it, you know, I don't want to get too political here, but yeah. it does seem like the decision by the Department of Justice was political in challenging this merger. Yeah. There has never been a vertical merger, you know, company buying someone they don't directly compete with, yep. challenged in 35 years. Yep. That's a long time. Yep. Okay? And when you look at it, the world's changing so fast. Those who think they can control the future by buying somebody, either up or down the food chain, they're dreaming. I think the uh, Justice Department did a huge amount of damage, I think, to their credibility. I think they did a huge amount of damage to the deal world. I know for a fact that so many deals have been on ice or on the sidelines pending this outcome. Yeah. And you can see it in what happened to the market in the last 48 hours. Uh, Comcast, 24 hours yeah. later, boom, you know, huge that was, bid. That was going to be the one I wanted to ask right. you about because obviously you're talking about two big media players in AT&T and Time Warner. And now we have the potential. We don't know which the Comcast and Fox, or still, you know, maybe Disney's going to come back after. I know, but it's going to be a fascinating fight to watch. <laughs> I know, right. And hopefully we can make some money with it. Well, but but it is interesting, though. Do you expect that we are going to see more M&A oh, oh, off of this? I, oh, I think, I think the next uh, couple months you're going to see lots of these quasi-vertical type deals. Right. Media, healthcare will be the two biggies. Um, we did get two healthcare deals that happened um, sort of around the same time frame. One was, uh, you know, CVS, the pharmacy company, buying yeah. Aetna. The other is Cigna, the big uh, insurance company, yeah. buying Express Scripts, which is a PBM, pharmacy benefit manager benefit company. Benefit manager, yeah. Those spreads, okay, collapsed or dramatically tightened, you know, yesterday on this ruling. Because people were saying, like, if they're going to stop vertical mergers and not allow any behavioral remedies, maybe they'll stop these deals. And so all of a sudden people now breathe a big sigh of relief. But anybody in healthcare who's thinking of doing one really wanted to see how this was going to play out. The most important thing is the judge totally got the facts, wrote one of the best opinions I've read in a very long time. Yeah. And I think he, um, he put the vertical merger argument to bed for the next generation. Even though it's not an, necessarily an investment question, but since you brought up healthcare, obviously there continues to be lots of conversation about how we kind of adapt healthcare to be 
what a lot of people believe it needs to be moving forward because of the costs that we see. Do you think that's a possibility that we can get there to that point? A lot of people obviously have talked about do we, you know, do we need to change healthcare mm-hmm. from what we have to maybe, you know, other ideas. A lot of people believe that's a possibility. Other people believe that we're so invested in this way of doing healthcare that we can't go that way. I, I think you your last statement hit the nail on the head. We are so invested in the way we've been used to healthcare that it's going to be really difficult to change. I, I, I'm I'm skeptical. You know, you're going to get wholesale changes. Yeah. I'm skeptical for a number of reasons. One, I've been listening to this dialogue, this rhetoric now, really for 25 years, okay? And we started moving into like the HMO business, you know, kind of around the late 80s, yeah. early 90s. You know, and the lives transformed in the healthcare space, but the cost of healthcare as a percentage of GDP really hasn't changed. Yeah. And unfortunately, what we've done is we've created an entitlement, particularly for the middle class and upper middle class, okay, it's sort of effectively free, okay, with really no super, you know, hard cost controls. Yeah. All these people vote, okay, no politician really wants to go there. And and I just think that uh, it's going to be really hard to change that. And the changes you are seeing are more in the private sector than basically in the government sector. So. Yeah. And so Medicare is obviously the 600-pound gorilla. Sure. And then the question, you know, is what do you do with elderly people? Yeah. And, and obviously most of these elderly people are somebody's parents or in-laws and sure. stuff like that. So no one wants to lose their parents or lose their in-laws. And no one wants to pay for those parents or in-laws either out of their own pocket. And, and they will vote basically to throw the rascals out if they lose that, quote, entitlement. So this has become such a massive entitlement. It is a vote changer. Yeah. No one wants to go there. And, you know, the aging population of America, the longevity of our lives yeah. today, I think healthcare is going to continue to be a big albatross around our neck. Where are you on the development of, of autonomous vehicles and, and obviously companies like Tesla and getting into the electric cycle? I mean, obviously a lot of people think that we could be headed for something, but then again, the strength uh, of the oil and gas companies obviously is still there. Uh, the auto industry, if they do get the CAFE standards pulled back by the EPA, that you know, makes it a little bit easier for them to stay on that path, even though they are investing millions and millions of dollars uh, you know, in these other areas. You know, technology is, is been obviously so transformative in our lives. Um, uh, and I believe that transformation is actually increasing and increasing rate. And in automobiles, I think you're going to see that happen. Um, I, my own prediction is by 2050, the internal combustion engine is going to be something that, you know, your, our grandkids are going to read about, yeah. you know, type thing. Um, and what will happen is that change will accelerate at an increasing pace. The big cost is the cost of getting these batteries down, yeah. okay? Yeah. Right now, all these... Uh, electric cars are heavily, heavily subsidized, okay? So they need to get those down. They that, like, I, I always love my uh, friends who have Teslas who live in, you know, California. They're very environmentally conscious. And you tell me, you realize those dirty coal-fired you know, plants <laughs> yeah. in Nevada yeah. are the ones that are powering your Tesla. And so they're actually as, as polluting as basically, you know, an economy-type sedan. Yeah. They don't like to hear that, okay? <laughs> uh, all of my cars, uh, actually, I have a couple of hybrids, actually. Yeah. But um, I, 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 I like to drive cars, okay? 
I have a couple of sports cars. So I actually like the driving experience. I also like being driven, though, particularly in like New York City. I get to sit in the back seat, right. read the paper, you know, have people give me dirty looks as I go by, <laughs> and so forth. Um, I, you know, I used to think the self-driving car thing was was like ridiculous, okay, yeah. and crazy. But then I started to think like if you had to invent the concept of a human being getting into a mechanical, you know, object to go from point A to point B. You know, and everyone just totally being random. Because remember, the way you're driving, the way I'm driving next to you, it's all random. Sure. Somehow we've yeah. all hardwired it to do, uh, so we have very few accidents. Computers can do this stuff. They can do, you know, millions of calculations a second now. And when we get to more of this, uh, you know, uh, increased, uh, you know, uh, technology on bandwidth yeah. that's taking place. Yeah. Um, you're going to kind of see these cars are going to know where everyone is, where they are within inches as yeah. opposed to feet. And if I had to make a prediction, I think these Elon Musk's of the world, you know, I actually think they've got I think, once again, going back to 2050, um, it might be against the law to drive your own car and other than a track setting. Well, and, and that's part of the process, I think, that, you know, you will have the government piece in terms of getting all of these vehicles lined up and, and on the highways. But, again, there's the belief, you know, there is a strong belief in Elon Musk right now. And you see it a lot of times in the share price of Tesla. because the it valuation. Can, it's, you know, it's, it's bigger than GM. Exactly right. And then you see, you know, Uber getting into it and Google and Amazon. And everybody seems to believe that there's, I don't think there's much doubt with all the money that's being invested in it right now, that this is the way we are going to go 20 years down the road. It may mm -hmm. take that long. It may take that long, but what's been remarkable is how these disruptive technologies have transformed not only the world, but from a valuation perspective, have grown into the valuation. Okay. Okay. So I, I live through the, the dot-com. Yep. You know, the fiasco yep. where it was all smoke and mirrors, and you know, didn't end well. Ninety-nine percent of these companies effectively yep. went to zero. There were a few survivors um, that we know of today. Amazon was one. Obviously, Priceline was another. Yeah. There was a few of these, but most of them ended up being, you know, in the dustbin. What I find remarkable is I think about the stocks I didn't own. Yeah. Okay, um, Google. I use Google every day. Yeah. Never. Always thought the thing was expensive. Yeah. Facebook, never used it. But, you know, my wife and kids lived on it. Yeah. Never owned it. Too expensive. Amazon. I got a package from Amazon. was every day I came home in the apartment. You know, <laughs> Amazon Prime. Something my wife was buying. Every time I looked at it, it's just crazy expensive. Yeah. Okay. And, and so a Apple, Apple, you could have made an argument, was attractive. But you realize everyone had an iPhone. Yeah. Uh, and. But you kept saying, well, why would you need a new iPhone? You yeah, know, yeah. You know, Apple, you know, the iPhone 3 was fine. Yeah. You know, who needs a 4? Who needs a 5? You know. But it keeps, still, you, it keeps you in that culture. I still have a 6, but my kids all have 10s. Okay. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. You know, I mean, it's, and, and my, my thought is, you know, I think Tesla, get valuation. Okay. Okay. It's going to happen. Find out what the guy in the street is doing. You know, find out what your wife is doing, your kids are doing. If everybody's on an iPhone or if everybody's on a Samsung Android, you know what? Buy it. And Peter Lynch, you, you may remember 
uh, the Fidelity Magellan fame. Sure, yeah. He had this, yeah. he, he was the first guy to find the Gap. He bought the Gap, you know, the clothing store at the time, which was at one point one of the high yes, flyers, Mickey Drex with him. Yeah. And it, uh, he said, you got to go to the mall. You can't read 10Ks, 10Qs in your office. You got to find out where people are shopping. What are they doing? Yeah. And you know what? There's a lot of truth to that. And I think that's how, that's why I think you want to be bullish on all these new technologies. Then let me ask you this then, the, the, the back and forth between Amazon and Walmart, and obviously Walmart making the investment in India with Flipkart right now. Yep. Do you think Walmart has enough to have the staying power and actually, I, I don't know if any company has the ability to really take apart Amazon, but does Walmart have a chance? I think Walmart has a chance just because they are so big and they are so wealthy. But they have a mindset that they're bricks and mortar type guys. Yeah. And the way what Walmart needs to do is they need to bring in a technology guy. Yeah. To basically take over the firm in many ways. You gotta upend the culture. Yeah. I remember when DuPont Many, many, many years ago, back in the 70s, hired a guy named Irving Shapiro. Mm-hmm. He was a lawyer, worked in the general account to run their, you know, firms. They realized in the new world, back in the 1970s, it was no longer a scientist that was going to basically, you know, be the, the existential issues. It was going to be regulatory. Yeah. And that was, you know, completely, you know, almost hearsay to actually do that. And yet it was brilliant. Yeah. What are your competitive threats? Do you have the team to do that? And I think the challenge for these big old economy type businesses is they've got to up and they at the C-suite. If they do it, they're going to win because they have the they've got the they've got the bank accounts to do it. If they don't, you know, um, their history history tells you that uh, you know the disruption disruptors win. I wanted to talk, finish up by talking about the Bucks for a little bit. Uh, you, when we met with you last year, uh, at that point, the new stadium, the new arena was under construction. But you were telling me now you have the CEO on it and you're going to have it up and running here very soon. So the Bucks will have a new arena come the uh, start of the next season. That is right. We, um, we just got a certificate of occupancy last week. I'm actually going to Milwaukee tomorrow. Um, I haven't seen it in like two months now. I saw, uh, I saw it's spectacular. I think uh, – it's it's going to be a really cool arena, and I think right now it is the state of the art in the NBA arenas at the moment. Right um, now, I think Golden State's opening up theirs next year, so they'll have the state of the art. Okay, yeah, that's right. That's where technology is changing so much, especially being right next to Silicon Valley. And that helps too. Okay, yeah, yeah. and helps that they're spending about one and a half times what we're spending too. Right, but um, it uh, but the arena is amazing. The teams are looking really good. We've got the Greek freak. Yep. I think he's only going to get better and better. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Hey, you pronounced it pretty good. I, you That's know, pretty good. Have a little bit of a sports background. Okay. Sorry. The, uh, you're probably like one in uh, you know, of the 200 people in the country can pronounce it properly. Right, exactly. Took me a while, too. Okay. <laughs> it's a little bit of a tongue twister. Right. But he's a wonderful young man. And, you know, he, his persona you see on TV is the exact same the persona he is in real life. So can the Bucks be a team... As you said, the Golden State Warriors are spending more money than, than the Bucks are. Can the Bucks have the capability to put a quote-unquote super team together? It's more challenging for a middle market, small market you know, franchise than yeah. it is for a big market yeah. franchise. But the answer is yes. In today's world of basically social media, basically the globalization of digital media, 
uh, you can have huge fans. Take Giannis Antetokounmpo, okay? He was the number four selling jersey in the NBA last year. Yeah. Okay? You know, he basically is, he gets, other than Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and Steph Curry, he's the number four most followed basketball player in the world. Okay? Now, and it's a global market. Yeah. In Europe, he gets more hits than Durant does. Okay? Helps he's Greek. Yeah. They love him there. Yeah. But that's what's happening with globalization. So you can definitely build a brand, hopefully get players to come. Cleveland is a not a big market team. No, no. Obviously, LeBron grew up there. You know, he's made, he's gone to you know, the finals last three, four years, I think. No, yeah. I, think it's now, I think it's seven or eight now. Well, for Rob. LeBron, but, uh, oh, but, right. but Cleveland. Correct. Cleveland's yes. on the last four That's years. That's right, yeah. And, um, the, and look, it's getting closer. Houston, I mean, I think if Chris Paul had, you know, pulled his hamstring, yeah. they, they could have gone to the finals, right. in my opinion. Uh, there is an arms race going on, but everybody's getting better. Yeah. Philly's getting better. I was with Josh Harris last night at dinner. Um, you know, they look good, and they're going to be even better. Boston, when they get you know Kyrie Irving back, yeah. they get Haywood back, they're going to be really good. One final thing, sports betting. How do, how do you think that's going to impact the NBA? It's a good question. I, I actually don't have a huge amount of knowledge on it. It's going to increase the value of the teams because we'll get benefit of yeah. it you know um it's 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 going to make um the nba game more of a four period game than a, a second half yeah you know last 10 minutes type game yeah i mean so many people i know turn in in the third fourth period yeah but if you're betting on what the score in the first period is going to be the spread at the halftime you know it's going to be like football you're actually going to really yep. care because you know these guys are betting anything. I mean, they're betting whether a bunny rabbit's going to yeah. jump out of you know Kevin Durant's pants or something in the third <laughs> period. And um, so I actually think your, your your viewership will actually be actually be more uniform during the course of the game yeah. than basically skewed toward the end of the game. Great seeing you again, Jamie. Always a pleasure. All the best. Okay, Jamie Dynan, uh, who's the co CEO of Your Capital Management, also uh, part owner in the Milwaukee Bucks. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.